I have done or performed three weddings in four weeks. And that's a lot of weddings. And they've all been very different. Uh, and it, I, I like weddings. They're fun. It's fun to be invited, I think. It's fun to be involved in the service. It's fun to dress up. It's fun for me to meet new people. Uh, maybe for you, it's more fun to see old friends when you go to weddings. Uh, and maybe you feel like you're a part of it too. When you go to a wedding and you kind of watch people and you look at their great dresses or you listen to a song or two, um, I really enjoy saying, it's now my privilege to be the first to introduce you, Mr. and Mrs. da 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 da, da. I, I like that part. And then there's the toasts and the banquet and the, the music and the dancing. And it's just fun to belong to this group of people. Uh, oh, and there's usually like scripture reading. And can you guess? I, I know it's a shocker. I'll give you, my dad used to say, I'll give you three guesses, the first two don't count. Can you guess what the number one choice of Bible verse in a wedding is? First Corinthians 13. Yeah, usually they just truncate it down to like four to seven because uh, they don't want to take up too much time in the service. And, and so, yes, it's love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It's not, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it rejoices in the truth, it keeps no record of wrongs, it does not delight in evil, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Sometimes they add, and love never fails. Now, a lot of times, I think we totally gloss over these verses. Even in, a, even in a wedding, I often see this just glossed over. I mean, there are so many details of the day to deal with, and a lot happens in a wedding, so there's a lot of things that can go wrong. I mean, that might not go as planned. And so, you know, these verses just kind of get moved to the side. And so when that happens, uh, and all this starts happening, I just like to say to people, now remember... The most important thing is that when your singer on that song, they hit that high C. No. No. The most important thing is, is I get that transition just exactly right in that message. So it's all about, nobody's listening to me. That's not what it's about. It's about when these two people, when they turn and face each other and they say these vows. Isn't that the most important thing? I, I say... You need to show up, and you need to show up, and you need to say I do, and you need to say I do. Everything else is bonus. That's it. That's the most important thing in a wedding. Now, why? Why is that vow, that commitment, why is that the most important thing? What does a wedding or love or the love chapter, as it's called, uh, what does that have to do with belonging? And why do Christians and why do churches always talk about committing and belonging? And that's what I want to talk about today. So before we get started, let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I pray that even verses that we may have heard many times, 
probably said in a more sentimental way rather than a a reverent, um, inspired word of God way. I pray that we'd hear them today. I pray that your word and your spirit would speak to us today and that we'd have open minds, open ears, and open hearts to hear, to hear your word and, and have it affect us. Thank you for this time to look at your word, to set aside together. Amen. Now, why, why, why this first, this idea of commitment? So I thought about this all week and a little bit last week, and I think that in order to belong to some degree, in order to belong, we have to commit in some way. Now, maybe you disagree, but, but let's think about it for a minute. We need to commit to some degree in order to belong. Like we decided as a family that we were going to belong to Lifetime Fitness. We'd been Y members for a long time, but swimming schedules and all these other things, and we decided we're going to belong to Lifetime Fitness. And so in order to belong to Lifetime Fitness, uh, we needed to commit to that organization. And, and what happened is uh, we needed to sign some papers and commit our credit card over to pay. And then we were in. We belonged. And, and we were going to get healthy and, uh, and work out. And it was going to be great. Now, when we committed to that organization, there was some, like, there was a, a small sense of belonging. We walked in and I showed them my card and they let me in. And I was in. And then I walked past the Life Cafe going, someday I might be able to buy something there. And then I looked at the people on the treadmills and I'm like, someday I might be able to run as long as they do. But I was in. I was in the group. However, when we commit to an organization, there's a contract. If I stop paying, like our credit card expired, they stopped letting us in. And that's what happens when you commit to an organization. If it, it can go the other way, too. If I realize I'm not getting what I'm putting in out of it, don't we stop doing that? So when I looked and went, hmm, three times a month, not three times a week, three times a month, my muscles, like, I went from being able to bench press 140 to 145. I don't know if I'm going to pay this much money to get this out of this. It's not working for me. And in a contract, if we're not getting what we want out of the deal, we end it, don't we? And the relationship ends. And some people view marriage that way. Talked to a lady last night, three weddings, four weeks, um, Janice, because uh, some people are shocked that I'm old enough to do weddings. In fact, the father of the bride made some comment like I was 12, and it was funny, so I allowed it. It was totally fine. He had the microphone. I couldn't really do anything about it. But anyway, so this lady came up and said, oh, wonderful service, nice job. Thanks for making it personal for the people. Now, and then had all these questions for me. And I told her, answered some of her questions, and then I asked her some questions. And she talked about her kids, and she talked about her husband, and, and then she talked about her marriage and how her 
relationship with her husband wasn't so great. So I asked a few more questions. And she's like, well, I do this and this and this for him. And he doesn't do this or this or this. And I've been telling him for years that I do this and you don't do this. And I want, I, it needs to change or it's over. And I tried to help her to understand that she's seeing marriage as a contract. But that's not, that's not what the Bible talks about, commitment. So it's not just about marriage, because I think some people view committing to the church like committing to Lifetime Fitness or some other health club. I mean, we think, when we think this way, we kind of think in the contract. I put in my dues, I, I put some money in that little basket, and then I hope to get something back. And... And when it's not giving me what I want, then I think about ending that relationship. So there's really nothing in a contract beyond what we give and what we get. And when it stops working, then we think that's over. And that's like committing to an organization. Now, point two, I'm also a Vikings fan. Some of you know this. It's, I know, it started, it started in 1986, preseason game four. I think I've told you this story before. Preseason game four, 1986, the Vikings beat the Super Bowl champion Bears. I watched the fridge. I watched Walter Payton. I was very young. But, um, and I became a Vikings fan ever since that day. 27 to 3. It was great. Kind of been disappointed ever since, but I'm committed. I'm committed to the Vikings. Now, I'm not a season ticket holder. I, I don't really travel to team games, uh, away games. I, I haven't been campaigning for the new stadium, but I'm, I'm committed. Uh, I haven't really uh, given any money to the new stadium, let alone campaign for them. I haven't even really, I didn't really watch all the games last season on TV, but but I think I'm committed, maybe. Or maybe I'm just committed to the idea that I'm a Vikings fan. Now, back to the wedding idea. These vows, they're the most important thing. And uh, anybody recently, last six months, married by chance? By chance? You guys remember your vows? You want to you wanna say them right now? Just off the cuff, because you just live them out every day, right? 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 Absolutely. Dodge that spot. Okay, so maybe this is one set of vows that a couple recently chose. Uh, I commit myself to you to be your spouse. And these things I promise you. I will be faithful to you and honest with you. I will respect, trust, help, and care for you. I will share my life with you. I will forgive you as we have been forgiven. And I will try to better understand ourselves, the world, and God through the best and worst of what is to come as long as we both shall live. Now, I don't recommend those. Those are quite long. But they, this couple, they wanted that. Now, it's not really about marriage. So if you're married or not, it's not really the point. Think about church. Because a lot of people want to belong 
to the church or a church. They want to have that sense of belonging, but they're a little bit unsure of committing. Now, I don't know if you've had um, any recent people walk by your door uh, as of late. You know, in the spring, there's cute little girls who were selling these amazing Girl Scout cookies. My favorites are Samoas. And they come to the door and say, you know, can I, I want to go to summer camp. And, you know, the Girl Scouts just have changed my life. And I'm like, just, I don't need your spiel. I want the cookies. Um, I'm eager to get those. Now, then last week I had this lady, um, she was from India, and she showed me a picture of a leadership program. And she said, hello, uh, my name is so-and-so, and can I tell you about this leadership program? And she tells me about how students go all over the world to learn leadership and business practice. And she's like, isn't that great? I'm like, yeah, that's cool. And she said, we do this and this and this. I'm like, oh, that's great. And now, um, how would you like to get information on this? And I said, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Okay, now, could you commit money? And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, I, I just, I kind of wanted to, I was interested in that, but then all of a sudden there was this little switch about signing up to give, to commit financially to this leadership program. I, all of a sudden I wasn't so keen on that. And I think sometimes we look at church that way. We want to belong, want to belong, but all of a sudden somebody talks about committing and we get a little nervous. We go, I want to know what that means. I want to know what that means. Think about those vows. What if that was how we became part of belonging to a church, as we said vows like that? But some of us like the idea of committing, and so when that happens, I think what, what committing looks like is either a task list or a wish list. Okay? So track with me. It, it, it's not so much we do it out of this expression of committing or belonging, but we do it out of this expression of task. I have to do this. Maybe you were someone who uh, asked when you were younger, like, Mom, do we have to go to church this week? Or Dad, do we, can, why, why are we going to go to church today? Like, I really want to sleep in. Because we have to. It's what we do. This is, this is what we do. Um, well, what's on your agenda today? Well, I've got a little homework to do. Uh, I've got to clean my room or my apartment or my house. I've got to clean up dog poo. I've got to wash the dishes. I've got to do laundry. I've got to go to church. I've got to love my neighbors. Oh, I've got to be patient and kind and respectful to my spouse. i got to. And it becomes a task list. It's just checkmark. Now, if any of you are married, you know that trying to love your spouse as a checkmark doesn't work very well right? This is, this is not a good way to do it. If you're not married, don't put them on one more thing on your task list. It won't work. Can you imagine what two people who are married who commit to the idea of loving each other, what would their marriage look like in five years? What does that relationship look like? Maybe you're not married. Maybe you've had a friend, though, and you're, it's a best friend, and you're committed to the idea of being a best friend. But you don't actually be that best friend. How much commitment is there? How much belonging is there? 
So at best, it's a task list. At worst, it's just a wish list. And we hope we can do it, but we often don't do it. Which brings me all the way back around because this still doesn't explain why Christians and why churches talk about this idea of committing to belong. And see, I think the Bible really does answer this question. And it's part of the answer is in Corinthians 13, but not all of it. So if you have one, if you have a Bible, you'll want to turn there. We're going to go there. Uh, if you don't, it'll, I think, be on the screen. Uh, now, you have to remember this about talking to, or about looking at the book of Corinthians. If you're going to talk to the people of Corinth about love, it's kind of like talking to Eskimos about snow. Like they knew love. They had the temple of love from the Greek goddess Aphrodite, and they talked all about love. It was celebrated in good ways and bad ways all over the place. So they know the idea and the concept of love, but much like our world today, their understanding of love and commitment and belonging was very, very twisted. And so I'm going to highlight, I think, three problems and solutions that I see in the book of Corinthians. All right, let's see if I can make this work. All right, so we're going to 1 Corinthians, and we're going to chapter 3. Yeah, all right. Dear brothers and sisters, When I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to the world or as though you were just infants in the faith. I had to feed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready. For you are controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another, and you quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you're uh, controlled by the sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting like the people of the world? Okay, so these people are fighting about who their favorite Bible teachers are. And somebody says, I like Paul the best. And another person says, oh, I like Apollos the best. And another person says, no, no, I'm all for Peter. Uh, we, they're, they're choosing to focus on the messenger rather than the message and the subject who's God. And so he says that, and I think what we learn here is the Corinthians are committed to the church as an organization, and so they want the best, they want the best goods and services, the best return on their investment, and so they don't want to listen to so-and-so, they want to listen to this person. And so Paul's solution, the writer who writes this, is in verse 16. His solution is, don't you realize It's about God, and all of you together are the temple of God. The Spirit lives in you. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Don't fight over who's giving the message, because God is in you. His Spirit is there. That's his solution to the first thing. All right? The writer has, goes on and addresses a couple other concerns. There's some pretty rampant sexual sin in the room and in the place and in the church. 
and outside the church, but in the church. And, and, and sexual sin specifically is a distortion of commitment and belonging and love, kind of almost in a way that no other sin is. And so he wants to address this. He says it in verse 18 this way. He says, run from sexual sin. No sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. His solution is followed up in verse 19. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Are you catching this? Same solution, both times. Totally different problems. Same solution. Your body, the Holy Spirit, in it. You are that temple. All right, chapter 12. Uh, chapter 12, they, there's some more problems, but we're, we'll just go to chapter 12. Dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives, I don't want you to misunderstand. So regarding the question, that means this guy, his name's Paul, he's been corresponding with these people, this church in Corinth, or these churches, these house churches in Corinth. He's been going back and forth, and so they've written a couple letters. We have two of them in the Bible, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. There's actually probably, scholars think, maybe four letters that have been written back and forth. We don't know how many. These two just made it in the Bible. God wanted it that way. We'll just take it for what it's worth. But they had questions about, about things, and so he's addressing those things. And they have questions specifically about spiritual gifts. So we'll go to verse 4. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit who is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. So as far as I can tell, if you read the whole chapter, they're competing and comparing who's got the best gifts. Well, I have the gift of prophecy. Listen to me. Well, I can speak in tongues, so... There's me. Well, I have the gift of knowledge. Well, I can teach. Well, I can serve. Well, I can give. And these people are competing and comparing over their spiritual gifts. And so, so the writer says his solution gets very, very specific in 27. The chapter, he says, like, you're God's field, and he compares them to planting. He says you're God's house, and he compares them to that. And then he says you're God's body, and he compares it to that. But he hits it all the way right on the head in verse 27. And he says, All of you together are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. I don't know the last time you've watched someone try and a la carte their body. I'll take this piece and this piece and this piece and this piece. It doesn't work. The whole thing. Rather than compete and compare, realize that you're all connected. Competing and comparing with one another is kind of like cutting a part of your body. That's what the writer is saying. The Corinthians here, I think they're committed now to the idea of being together, of committing and belonging. So they've hit the organizational idea. They've hit the idea idea. But... The solution is the same in all of the scenarios. You are in Christ, 
Christ is in you. Not in a theoretical way, not in an euphoric way, in an actual, physical way. That's the story. That's the story that we talk about when we're ignoring God, when we're running from God, so much so that he has to pursue us. We hide and he finds us. He calls to us. He comes to us. He rescues us. We screw up again. He comes again. He's not committed to an idea of loving us. He actually comes and loves us. He sets up and calls Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I'm making a covenant with you. And I will bless you, and you will be a nation, and I will show the world what it's like to have a relationship with me, and you will show the world what it's like, and you will bless them. All the nations of the world will be blessed through that, through this relationship, through this covenant, not a contract. Then he sets up with Moses, and he kind of expands that idea of covenant, And he gives it more full. And the Ten Commandments aren't a contract. They're actually the covenant. And then he goes, and and, and what happens? The group of people continue to run and rebel from God. And what does God do? He lives up to his covenant. Every time, all the time, throughout history. And he even says to David, kind of the pinnacle king, he says, I will put someone, a descendant of, of yours, on the throne forever, there will be a king, a true king. By nothing that you do, David, because of my covenant with you. That's the story. That's the story of humanity. That's the story of the Bible. That's the story of commitment and belonging, that it's not an organization and it's not an idea. It's a covenant. That's why vows are the most important part of marriage. That's why we talk about commitment in church. Because it's a covenant that says God comes regardless of what we do. So when this lady, Janice, is is kind of pouring her heart out and saying, I do this and I do this and I do this for my husband and he just doesn't get it. He just thinks the marriage is supposed to function and I want to go because you see it as a contract and he sees it as an idea and neither of you see it as a covenant. But of course, it's a little bit hard to do that. But he comes and sends Jesus because over and over and over, the only way this covenant was going to work, the only way it was going to be fulfilled is if God himself fulfilled it. So he comes as Jesus. Jesus fulfills that covenant to the point of death and then is raised from the grave and totally restores us. That's the story. That's the good news. And then not only that, does he raise from the grave, then he gives us the spirit. And what does it say? The spirit lives in us. So when you and I are together, if you say yes to Jesus, you shouldn't see me you should see the Holy Spirit. I shouldn't see you. I should see the Holy Spirit. When we go somewhere, we're not alone. The Holy Spirit is in us and with us and guides us. When we come into a place where we think, oh, I don't know what's right and what's wrong, the Holy Spirit actually can nudge us to do what is right. 
God's Spirit gives us the willingness to follow, to choose God's way. Now, we still have free choice, so we can still make the mistake, and we can still and often do sin, but he sees us in this new light. And it's that kind of an idea, this covenant, that is so very real when we talk about committing to a church. Why? Now we're back to 13, and then we're wrapped up. See, 1 Corinthians 12 gives us a really good interpretive clue. These people are competing and comparing against spiritual gifts, and so what does he say? Not only do you belong together, now let me show you the best way, the most excellent way. And what is it? Love. But it's not a theoretical love. It's not a a philosophical love. It's a concrete love. Because he says, I could speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Like I could have the most powerful interpretive gift of speaking in tongues. Verse 1. But if I don't have love, it's nothing. I could have the gift of prophecy so high that I could understand everything. But if I don't love, meaningless. And, and I could have the gift of giving. And if I gave everything to the poor, if I sacrificed myself, but I don't love, I gain nothing. The writer is trying to tell us that this is a practical, concrete application. This is what it means to belong. It means that we practically love. How do we do that? We're patient and kind. We don't envy or boast. We're not proud. We don't distrust people. We don't dishonor people. We're not easily angered. We keep no record of wrongs. We don't rejoice in evil. We rejoice in the truth. We always protect, always trust, always hope. Now, what's our response usually when we talk about committing and belonging? Don't we usually direct that towards God? And we should. We have to trust God. We have to commit to God. But when I look at this list, I think God doesn't need me to do that for him, to him. God doesn't need me to not keep his record of wrongs, right? Because God doesn't have any wrongs. God doesn't need me to worry about, like, am I being boastful to God or proud of God or to God? No, that list only makes sense if we direct it towards God's people. Are you picking this up? So, when we talk about this practical, concrete, visible love, we're talking about a commitment not just to loving God, but to loving God's people. So when we talk about committing to belong to restoration, a church, any church really, we're not committing to belong to an abstract organization that's a contract. We're not committing to a philosophical idealistic love. When we talk about committing to restoration or any other church, 
We're talking about committing to the people that are Christ's body, who Christ's Holy Spirit lives in. That's who we're committing to. In a way that really makes it practical and real and tangible. Uh, I've asked Jake Shaddis if he would come and share his experience of commitment and belonging. So Jake, would you come up? Well, Rob's asked me to come talk briefly about um, my story of commitment and the body of Christ. And I should give a little bit of brief background on myself. Um, I am the son of a pastor. My dad is a pastor. Uh, he's pastored numerous different churches. And I did marry the daughter of a pastor. Um, and uh, as I was growing up, I learned a lot about committing to a church um, even though I didn't want to. Um, pretty much I had to throw up just before church or I was going to church because my mother was the pianist and my dad was the pastor. So um, I didn't always understand it, um, maybe even always agree with it, but to my dad it was very important to be committed to a church. And so that's kind of my background briefly, but then I went off to a Christian college and we had chapel five days a week, so I usually went to the Church of the Holy St. Mattress on Sundays because I figured I had had my dose, you know, Monday through Friday. So, um, you know, and then as I uh, grew up, maybe I didn't mature, or I'm not sure, but as I got my degree, I'd, I decided that I kind of just wanted to do a little church surfing, you know, just kind of test it out, you know, get the, the Baptist latte here and, you know, the the uh, covenant cinnamon roll there, you know, so, um, and I kind of just like being uh, not very known, I guess, um, I might be a little bit different than Rob, you know, I might not run up and hug you and talk about your clothes and all other kinds of things, but, um, you know, I, I, um, anyway, I, I, I married Kristen, and we decided that maybe I should grow up a little bit and start being committed to a church. Well, long story shorter, Rob may or may not have recruited us to come here, but God had an ultimate say in that. But anyway, um, it came a period in my life where my job was really stressful, um, a really negative environment. Uh, I felt underappreciated and underpaid. Uh, I'm sure some of you guys are familiar with that. Um, a good reminder that we should uh, always be lifting up Rob and his family and reminding them what do they mean to us. Um, but uh, I came to a spot where emotionally and spiritually, physically, pretty much every part of me was blown apart financially. And um, and then we had a few road bumps here at Restoration. And... Chris and I came to a place where we were really questioning God, you know, why we're trying to follow you, we're trying to do what's right, um, what we don't understand. But we wanted to be committed. And we had joined a life group, and um, we still had days where we would come here and feel like it didn't matter if we were here or not. 
But I didn't blame anybody in particular. I think a lot of it was that people didn't know. Um, but as we opened up to our life group there, they came around us and prayed for us and lifted us up and um, showed us that they are committed to us. Now we had talked, we thought, well, maybe we should just roll on to the next church. The church expansion is a little bit hard at times. But we want to be, be committed. And we wanted to hear from God. Our church group, our life group came around us. And as we began to think about the different people that had touched our lives and that cared about us and that were praying for us, the puzzle began to come together. And the body of Christ um, really began to lift us up. So anyway, it was an extensive process, and I have to tell this story. Um, I had several different job interviews, and every time I would feel God's peace about, nope, this one's not the right one. So I came to the second interview of this one particular job that I had felt a tremendous amount of peace about, and I may or may not have named my son Charlie after Charlie Brown, um, and my mom found this dopey, mustard yellow, Charlie Brown tie. And for the second interview, I was like, oh, you know, I kind of felt like God was telling me I should wear it. And I'm like, that's the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> and then I heard my wife's voice in my head. She was gone. That's the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> but I heard God say, nope, you should wear it. So I wore it. And I come home, the interview went well, and I thought, you know, this is great, you know, and hope my stupid tie didn't ruin it. And I walk in the kitchen, and Kristen looks at me, and I had a silly grin on my face. She says, tell me you didn't wear that thing. <laughs> and I said, I may or may not have worn that thing today. She's like, tell me you didn't wear it. And I said, well, actually I did. And she said to me, it'll be God if you get that job. <laughs> but you know, I got that job. And it's the right thing. And there was a lot of you guys praying for me. And I appreciate that. But I'd like to... I'd like to challenge you guys to be involved. And be committed. Because God's family is important. My family's a testimony of that. So thank you.
If uh, I know some of Jake's life group is teaching Sunday school, but if you're in the life group with the Shadduces, would you just stand up, please? I guess they're all teaching Sunday school. Oh, Colleen's back there. Colleen's back there. Um, thank you, Jake and Kristen. Um, I think you would testify to the fact that you have learned more about 1 Corinthians 13 four through seven, by committing and belonging to a life group and to a church, even restoration, by going through this. The good and the really hard. Yes? And see, guys, we can't, we cannot be the kind of church that I believe God is calling us to be if we're not willing to commit to belong to each other. First John 4 says it so very, very clearly. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Everyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how he showed his love. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Because it's a covenant, not a contract. Dear friends, since God has loved us, we ought to, we must, it necessarily follows that we should love one another. That's why we commit. It's a response to the love God has given us. That's why we give money. Because when you put money in, it puts your stake in. That's why we serve together. Because when you serve, you're invested. And that's why we say life groups are so important. Because it's a tangible way. It's not the only way. It's just a tangible way to remind ourselves that we don't belong to an abstract organization. We belong to people. God's people. And if you're interested in life groups, I'll just make a cheap plug. You can sign up in the back today. Now, Jesus was always, always, always getting in trouble because he was dining with the wrong crowd. And so the Corinthian church was getting in trouble because when they would have communion together, people would get drunk, push each other out of the way. The rich and influential would be the ones usually getting drunk and eating too much, and then the poor wouldn't have anything left over. And so here's what, here's what the writer Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, For I've received from the Lord what I'm going to pass on to you. And on the night, the night, Jesus was betrayed as he was dining with his friends. He said, this is my body. And it's broken for you. Take and eat each of you. And as you do, remember me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup 
is a symbol. This cup is a sign of the new covenant. The old one I'm going to die to fulfill. The new covenant that God loves us so much that he puts a new heart and a new spirit in us that we will be his people forever. That's the new covenant. This is the new covenant. Sealed in my blood. Whenever you do this, whenever you drink it, remember me. For whenever you drink this cup and eat this bread, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So that whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner is guilty of sinning against God. The writer had harsh words for the Corinthian church because they were getting it wrong. We want to get it right. Now we'll probably still make mistakes. You know, even as Jake said. But we want to seek to do it in a reconciling way, in a way that says we belong to each other. And so we're going to do communion a little differently. At each station, uh, I guess you can call it, at each table, there's grapes, there's fruit, there's bread, there's juice. Take anything you want. But I challenge you, encourage you, admonish you, when you take the bread, turn to someone else and say, this is Christ's body broken for you. Pour a cup and give it to someone else and say, this is Christ's blood shed for you. Can we serve each other because we belong together? If that's too hard, you can serve yourself. I don't want to create a stumbling block to communion, but I would just encourage you as we close the service, if we have this communion time together, that you would see and I would see that we belong to each other. So go when you're ready to the tables. Uh, if you want to think about who you want to serve, you can find out that person before you do it. So let's go to these tables together.